Welcome to this episode of Season 4 of The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has reached over 3.5 million listeners, viewers, and readers around the world. The Common Bridge is available on the Substack website and the Substack app. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can find the program on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Common Bridge draws guests and audiences from across the political spectrum, and we invite you to become a free or paid subscriber on your favorite medium. Hello, this is Rich Helpy, your host of The Common Bridge, and today a quick editorial recap of the 2022 midterms. Now, don't worry, we're going to be back to talking about issues and policy solutions next week. In fact, we've got uh, some really interesting content from Dr. James Baker talking about COVID, uh, biolabs in Boston, uh, vaccines, and a whole lot more. And while we comment on the midterms tonight, just not all races have been finalized yet. In fact, the control of the United States House of Representatives is not decided. This is one person's opinion, and we're going to have some fun with it. I'd like to cover how the elections turned out, how I think the extremes are crumbling and where the partisans held firm, abortion referendums, analysis of voting, which is a really different tale this time, and finally, a look ahead to 2024, indictments, maybe more, and of course, next week again, back on the issues. So the first takeaway is this. Republican leadership discovered that their dual-pronged strategy of foregoing policy discussions in favor of staring like a deer in the headlights coupled with wishful thinking that a narcissistic Donald Trump would just go away without pushing him over, well, that was a loser. Democrats, they discovered the way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, methodically working the new voting mechanisms, picking off one race at a time, and investing in weaker nut job candidates in the Republican primaries and convincing their tribal followers that democracy would return if the Democratic Party pretty much won the midterms. The same process with a different result, of course, would mean democracy's over. But the good news, we don't have to write a story about Rob Reiner going full Kenosha to fight off the MAGA protesters, but we do have to worry whether or not Joe Biden is going to do a follow-up to his push to eradicate thought criminals in the MAGA ranks. He's talking to Facebook about it, I bet. Anyway, the Democrats still need to tone down the gaslighting and fear-mongering. The Republicans need to find some spine and kick Trump to the curb. The guy is clearly a boat anchor on a distant swimmer. But there are the green shoots of returning to normal with losing candidates blaming their political parties and the political parties blaming the candidates, which is much more normal than blaming the elections themselves. So the extremes are crumbling. Seven governors, at least 10 House seats, and as many as 45 what they would be termed election deniers lost their races. It seems that having an endorsement by Donald Trump as one's chief asset isn't all that valuable. Who knew? People don't like the other polar extreme either. By way of example, four of nine members of the January 6th committee lost their seats or read the polls and just bowed out. And who's among the remaining? The ever-present Adam Schiff, whose misguided voters still apparently believe he has super-secret Russian collusion information with his own eyes. He's seen it with his own eyes. His eyes look a little weird anyway. And Jamie Raskin, who co-authored a letter questioning support to the Ukraine by the U.S., 
Uh, and then withdrew it because it sounded too much like he was agreeing with Republicans. Another extreme candidate hanging on by a thread as this podcast goes to publication, Republican Lauren Boebert, who brings the caricature of Republicans to public life. She thinks her constituents are enamored with her semi-automatic rifle. My advice, she needs to go watch Red Dawn and remember it's just a movie. So the period of trying to see who can out crazy Donald Trump may be passing Lauren. Get the memo. Up in Washington State, Democrat Marie Lusenkamp Perez has defeated Joe Kent. Kent now is a far-right guy who was endorsed by former President Trump. And this means it's really important that the Democrats have captured a seat, Washington's third congressional district, that they have not been in for over 12 years. And again, as I said, the balance of power in the House could go either way. Now, those are some extremes that have been sent packing. There's others that have been rewarded. So governors in Illinois, Maryland, and Pennsylvania benefited from Democratic-aligned groups pouring millions into Trump-backed candidates, including, and you can't make this stuff up, a QAnon guy in Maryland. However, Maryland's governor-elect, Wes Moore, said, hey, it made no difference because I was going to win anyway. Okay, so maybe, probably, whatever. So why do it if this was the threat? He said it was. On the Senate side, Blake Masters in Arizona, Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, and Don Bolduck in New Hampshire all lost. Again, the takeaway, if your sole qualification is that Donald Trump says he likes you, it may not bode well. Trump himself can't figure out why, if he likes someone or something, why everyone else doesn't like it too. On a side note, it's kind of sad that Dr. Oz did call John Fetterman, but then had to email him because the senator-elect couldn't understand the verbal concession. Oh, and one more race to go in the Senate, Herschel Walker, who will, I think, lose the runoff. He'll be done in because he won't have Brian Kemp's coattails to run with and Kemp Farr uphold. Herschel heard it was a runoff. He was very excited. He said, I've run off tackle. I've run off from my kids. I can run off with the best of them. He didn't really say that, but I thought it was kind of cute. Peter Meyer in Michigan's third district. I think it's a really interesting case here. He voted to impeach Donald Trump, yet he lost a Republican primary to a fellow named John Gibbs. Gibbs was endorsed by Mr. Trump is unabashed thinking that the 2020 election was rigged and is purported to have once suggested that allowing women to vote had hurt the country. But he was bankrolled by Democrats. You know, the guy's fighting for democracy. But hey, the investment paid off as Democrat Hillary Shulton won the general election. First Democrat representing Grand Rapids. Now, there's been some redistricting in almost 50 years. And Gibbs, true to form, promptly questioned the election integrity. Guess what a working media would have asked of the Democrats? Why didn't you put the primary money behind Peter Meyer and show him as someone standing up against his own party, including voting to impeach a president of his own party? Given the above, it's no surprise that Democrats backed an ethically challenged governor with authoritarian instincts in Michigan. They ignored her COVID disasters, ignored her ethics, but hey, Colt Blue backed her. Governor Whitmer is returning to office because of four things. First of all, the top two Republican challengers completely hosed their petitions. Second, they had a massive spending advantage over the Republican challenger, Tudor Dixon, 28 to 1 at the beginning of the election season, 10 to 1 at the end. Thirdly, 
the lack of a mildly curious media system that would have asked about the pandemic policies, the governor's trips, the governor's command of the subject matter. And fourthly, the debates which were hidden from view and very late in the cycle. The governor again displayed her elitist bona fides by scoffing about the time children were denied an in-person education. But it's where we are. Now, the Democratic wave, which was really strong in Michigan, did not stop in Lansing. We have grossly incompetent governors returning in New York, Minnesota, and Oregon. All three successfully beat back the narrative on crime because Democrats made it known that only a wing of their party is anti-police. Democrats don't want anyone to be committing crimes, including people released with no bail or charged with lesser crimes. Some may commit more crimes with weak prosecution, but Democrats definitely do not want that at all. Just like certain politicians on the right don't want troubled 18-year-olds to blast innocents with semi-automatic rifles, but make no moves to restrict such sales. So if there's a way to get antisocial people to comply with the law-abiding society, we should be seeing it soon. And a lightning rod in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis led a near-perfect result for Republicans running on his record and unabashed on his policies and philosophies. He simultaneously strikes fear into the hearts of potential Democratic national contenders and Donald Trump. You can't tell from this day if this is like unity, bringing Trump and the Democrats together, or more division. Now, as forecast, turning to abortion, the abortion referendums exceeded performance of even the most partisan advocates. You could see it up and down the tickets and across the country. The late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought that Roe was the wrong case for the matter. And in the current court, conservative justices have always said the matter belongs to the states. So look, our Constitution's working. The matter has been returned to the states. Whatever your view is, the constitutional course correction has been achieved. And if you look at the voting, Kentucky, Montana, California, Michigan, Vermont, all voted in favor of referendums that protected abortion or enshrined it in the Constitution. Frankly, I thought Michigan would go to 60% for Proposal 3. It's currently sitting at 57%. Now, what was the voting like? It was not a single event or a single day, and that's not the strategy anymore. And I want to congratulate reporters that were bringing forward statistics on how people vote, whether it was mail-in, absentee, early, in-person, and such. So all those voting mechanisms and strategies that were set for one day, one vote, that's over. Who is voting is important, of course. When they vote and how they vote need to be entered into the calculations as well. Now, look, I've been really harsh on CNN for their tilted coverage and frankly skeptical about them returning to reporting news. But they did a very balanced job on election coverage, sticking to the facts. So good job, keep it up. Another factor, did youth turn out? So about 27% of young adults, those between the age of 18 and 29, voted in the midterms. And they broke for the Democrats heavily by about 27 points. Now, this is a research group out of Tufts University reaching these conclusions. And now, according to exit polls, which are not as accurate, the same group made up 
about its normal percentage of the electorate, in this case about 12%, but again, going heavily Democratic. Now, as of this writing, here's a really interesting statistic. I'm getting this from cookpolitical.com, great site. In the House votes, Republicans had captured 51.7% of the votes versus 46.8% for the Democrats. So if you think about the United States having perhaps the system like Italy, it would be a much bigger majority for the Republicans in the House. It's the way election laws are written. Please learn them. And finally, now that the truth about Georgia's voting laws have been revealed, they are not suppressing anything, can those who called the state Jim Crow 2.0 please apologize and, hey, Major League Baseball, give them the all-star game again? Now, there's been some other types of voting. Making voting easy and more accessible is something everyone should want. Political parties should not be able to bet on low turnout. They need to make this a more democratic process by having more people involved and let that voting fit into their busy lives. But there's other types of votes besides the ballot box. So consider the hours one might need to register, obtain a ballot, cast one vote. You know, even if you do it the easiest way possible, it is a commitment of at least a few hours. Now, compare that ease of voting with the difficulty of uprooting one's residence, moving the possessions, reestablishing life elsewhere. It's called immigration or voting with your feet. It's much more difficult than voting at the ballot box. That's why our borders are bulging with people fleeing from places where power is consolidated, economic opportunities are choked off, housing is unaffordable, and their privacy is violated. And such a comparison might be instructive for California, New York, Illinois, and other states who are draining their population to places like Florida, Texas, and Idaho. It's all immigration. It's all people voting with their feet. Indeed, in Oregon, Morrow and Wheeler counties just voted to leave Oregon and join Idaho. Seriously. Now, if you're yourself dismissing these facts because those people are so dumb, consider that now that makes nine Oregon counties who have cast votes like this, which represents two-thirds of Oregon's landmass and 10% of its population. Again, fleeing where power is consolidated. So let's look ahead a little bit just for fun, a couple things. Donald Trump's upcoming indictment. As I've said and written before, there's only four possible things that can happen now. Donald Trump will be indicted or not indicted, convicted or not convicted. Now, politically, it's advantageous to the Democratic Party to have Trump still around. So an indictment that derails Trump removes him from wreaking havoc in the next election cycle. Politically, it's advantageous to the Republican Party to have Trump removed. So an indictment, with or without conviction, serves Republicans. Merrick Garland, I think, has the toughest job in the world right now. The worst outcome is if he indicts and cannot win meaningful convictions. Remember, everything up to this point has been conviction in the media. There's not been defense or affirmative defenses, so we're just going to have to wait and see. I'm really torn because I want justice served, including prosecution for all crimes, and I've said that for years, and an opportunity for those accused to face their accusers and provide a defense. And I just want Donald Trump to be gone. You know, just exile seems like a great idea. Certainly, we've got an island someplace. 
okay, 2024 election cycle, swing states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, with Democratic governors, that's going to be a boost for them. But also the Republicans now have the swing states of Georgia, Ohio, and Nevada with their governors. More interestingly, I think it all is going to be about demographics. Us baby boomers, we're going to decline due to our mortality as more Gen Z become eligible to vote. So it's back to work. Things are back to normal. President Biden confuses Cambodia and Colombia. But hey, who doesn't? You know, two different continents, two different races, you know, two different languages, two different countries. Anybody in the Oval Office could make that mistake, I guess. The student debt relief, which was a key part of some of that early voting, is slammed as unconstitutional. It is. There's a solution out there. It's called an excise tax on endowments of universities. The new buzzword now is border security. That's because people realize that humankind has immigrated since the beginning of time. We need to be smart about it so we can't be against immigration, but we must be in favor of border security. So as I end this, I want to just think about two quotes from two people much smarter than me. Alexei de Tocqueville said, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury. And from that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy, always followed by a dictatorship. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations, 200 years. John Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And so as we reach this pivotal time in the human experience, this pivotal time in world history, and this pivotal time in this great country of the United States of America. Let's keep in mind what's precious, how much we need to work for it, and let's all contribute to that greater good. And with that, this is your host, Rich Helpy, signing off on The Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on The Common Bridge. Subscribe to The Common Bridge on Substack.com or use their Substack app, where you can find more interviews, columns, videos, and nonpartisan discussions of the day. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can also find The Common Bridge on Mission Control Radio on your Radio Garden app.